Hi, welcome to What's Up Tybee. I'm Sandy McLeod. On our last podcast, we talked about hurricane preparedness since June 1st marked the first day of the hurricane season. When you think about giant hurricanes, names that might immediately come to mind could include Hurricane Katrina or Hurricane Andrew. Or if you're old enough, you might even remember Hurricane Hazel or Hurricane Camille. But for the Georgia coast, the most impactful violent storms that ever hit this state were actually in the 1890s. The strongest hurricane on record in Georgia was the storm of 1898, which made landfall south of Tybee on Cumberland Island. Today, meteorologists estimate that winds in that storm when it hit were well above 135 miles an hour. Witnesses in Brunswick reported seeing a storm surge of about 16 feet in that city in that storm. But for Tybee, the really big one that whacked this island happened in 1893. Obviously, there were no hysterical weather people warning about the storm weeks in advance. There was no radar. In fact, many people in the path of that monster storm had no idea it was coming. That was clearly the case for a Mrs. M.S. Workman, who had a summer home on Tybee and was here with her family when it decimated the island and she lived to tell about it. My sister, Shirley Sessions, and I stumbled upon this dramatic letter that she had written at Tybee Library. So what you're about to hear is a reading of that letter from Mrs. Workman, which was sent to her relatives following that terrifying night. It's being reenacted by local voice talent and audio producer, Barry Marshall. My dear uncle... Death and disaster seem to have overtaken us this summer, and I wonder that I have lived through it all. Certainly I've grown 20 years older, and the little vacuum that contained the few brains left in me is now empty. Or it must be, for I'm perfectly certain that I am crazy, or going to be. Well, I know you want to hear about us on that terrible Sunday night, so I'll try to give you as much of an accurate description as I can. This is the first day I've felt equal to writing, so don't expect a very lucid letter. Teddy had been out all the week with Mr. Comer and only reached Tybee Sunday morning on the 7 o'clock train. He'd had a paper but did not read it all, and immediately after getting in the house went down to have a shower bath before breakfast, so we were all unconscious of the predicted storm. About 10 o'clock, it began to blow and rain, increasingly steady, so that the track was completely covered with sand and the trains could not pass our cottage. I just supposed it would blow over like it did when we had that hard storm in June, just after we went down to Tybee. Mr. Graham, who'd been staying with us while Teddy was away, was still there, so after dinner, we all sat and talked until I thought I'd better get some letters written. So I went to my desk and I had written too, when Mr. Graham called us to come and look at the big wave coming. It was then filling up the place in front of the room you had. Just then, Mrs. Ulmer, who had the cottage next to ours, came running in, waking up Teddy, who'd gone to sleep, telling us we must leave the house, as it was dangerous to stay any longer. Teddy rushed to the window, and turning to me, said, "'My God, we must get out of this house!' We all decided to go to the nailer house. Being higher, as Mrs. Ulmer went back to fix her things, and Teddy went to nailers to see if we could go over there. The wind, rain, and sand beat him so, it seemed he could never get there. When he did, he found it all locked up, no possible way of getting in. 
Meanwhile, I had put thick cloaks on the children, and wrapping blankets around them, I gave one to the cook and the other to the nurse. The servants were wild, and it was hard work to get them to listen to reason. Mrs. Ulmer had come over, that was half past four, and with her little girl and niece, she took my servants and children and started out. I was to follow as soon as Teddy came back from Naylor's, as I was packing things in the house to save as much as possible, moving everything from the lower shelves onto the beds, tables, and chairs. Mr. Graham and the chief of police went with Mrs. Ulmer and the children, and I thought they'd gone to the police barracks, as it was considered a very strong building. When Teddy came back for me, we put all the trunks on the dining table and bed in the back room. He was ready to give up, not a dry thread on him, and was exhausted with his fight in the wind. I laughed at him, gave him a big drink, and said, I was not going to give up as long as we were living. Not having time to change my wrapper, I took my dress on my arm, the cresceline lamp which I clung all the way, and the blankets thrown over me, and we started out. When we locked the dining room door, the water was rushing up to it then, and the bathhouse was floating way up to the house. There was no use picking our way. We waded over to the plank walk. As we got in front of the Ryans, they called us to come in. Hoping to find which way the children went, we stopped to get our breath. Some said, Yes, Mrs. Ulmer and the children were in the barracks. We waited for a while, and then a man rushed in saying the barracks had fallen and the horse smashed to death. I don't know how I did it, but as Mark Tapley says, there's always an opportunity for us to come out strong. I suppose that was my opportunity. I was not the least excited, but find them I must assuredly was going to do. And the Ryans tried to hold me, for the ocean was then surrounding their house, just rushing in between the Almers and our house. I saw if we remained any longer, we would be cut off entirely. So Teddy took the bag with the change of clothes I had packed for the children, and we started out again. Just before we got to the barracks, we met someone who said Mrs. Ulmer and the children had not gone to the barracks, but to the Blunt House, just this side of the new hotel, almost a mile and a quarter. The water had risen so that the track was covered knee-deep and over. This time, it was plunge in or get off altogether. So in we went, up to our knees. The wind was with us and just took us, or we never would have reached the house. The wind, sand, and rain were blinding us. People were fleeing to the woods to get into trees for safety as we passed along. Glancing back, we saw a house on fire, but we trudged on, little caring if it was ours or not. We reached the blonde house at last, wet and bedraggled, thankful for the haven of refuge, and found the children as bright as could be. Even then, they thought we would have to take to the woods, as that house might not stand the terrific gusts. It was the strongest house on the island, so said, and I'm assured of the fact, though had the storm continued another hour, it would have fallen, for the next morning we found the chimney of the room we were in cracked from top to bottom, and the wall of the room over us bulged out about a foot and a half. 
The brick pillows underneath the house had commenced to give way, so you can imagine what an escape we had. The next morning broke clear and bright, though windy, and we all went down to the cottages to see what damage had been done, the water having almost receded. What desolation met us on every side! Articles of every description, remnants of chairs, mattresses, baskets, trunks, pieces of furniture, everything, in fact, and the beach from the railroad track down to the ocean as clean a sweep as the regular beach at low tide, not a sand dune to be seen. Mrs. Ulmer's house had fallen. She got some men to fish out her trunks, which were soaked, and brought them over to our house, which was standing, but the front porch, gone, front door, burst off, and the corner of the room you had had been torn off. The water had been in about a foot and a half. The children's bathtub had been kept under Marjorie's bed, and I found it on its way into the dining room. After we got Mrs. Ulmer's things strung up to dry, I got another change of clothes for the children, a wrapper for myself, and started up again to the Blund house. The track was so completely demolished, we knew it would be weeks before we could get to town again. But one family whose house had fallen were going to send for a tug to come get them, so we started out with them. Just as we got to the plank walk, a man next to us said the mayor had sent a tug, which was then at Lazaretto Creek Bridge, four miles and a quarter, and would take all the women and children and as many men as they could up to Savannah, if we could walk that far. It seemed almost impossible. There was no conveyance to be had. Pieces of boats were strewn about, no whole one. There seemed to be nothing to do but walk, so we went back to the Blunt House to get the children and tell the others. Of course, we couldn't take any luggage on such a tramp, so pinning up the clothes I had in the satchel and a bath towel, we commenced our tramp, 15 in party. Teddy had Dorothy, and I carried the satchel and bundle for one of the young men who took Marjorie. Oh, such a walk. Will I ever forget it? But for the Naylor house down there is hardly a house left, and under some of the wreckage were the remains of four people who drowned. The track is torn up and twisted, some being a quarter of a mile away, standing on end like a fence, even the roadbed gone. Up we went, then down, into the water and out of it. Ships turned bottom up on one side of us, and on the other side, house all splendid, not even seeing the pillars upon which they rested. On we tramped, no hats on, the sun beaming upon us, yet a high wind was blowing, eeping up on us when it seemed impossible to go on. Finally, we saw what remained of the bridge and the tug waiting for us. We were lifted into a towboat and put on board. The captain waited for some time, hoping more people would come, and finally started picking up some a little distance down the shore. Mrs. Ulmer and I kept together all morning and sat up on the deck after we started. As we passed the quarantine station, or what was left of it, for it was a complete wreck, vessels lying high and dry, etc., we were signaled by another tug to stop. We neared up to her, and the mayor and Mrs. Ulmer's brother came on board. The mayor asked for Mrs. Ulmer and came over to where we were sitting. 
She got up to meet him, and he said, Mrs. Ulmer is the name. I'm sorry to tell you that your husband was drowned last night. Sorry, but true. He walked off. She caught my arm. I was too shocked to speak, and for the poor woman and her little girl, they were too dazed to even realize it. It was brutal to break it to her that way. Mrs. Ulmer had gone over to his island that morning and, finding his cattle in danger, stayed to see what he could do about getting them into a safe place and was drowned. It is supposed about 8 o'clock, as his wath had stopped at that hour. Well, the rest of the trip was awful. For us to see that poor woman suffering, picture half the crowd with handkerchiefs on their heads, some with bathing hats, and such nondescript clothing as they could find. We reached Savannah about six o'clock and found Mrs. Charlton, where we stopped last winter, had sent down for us to come right over. I was a stranger and ye took me in, had been proven to me. I did not know I had so many friends, for they'd already fed and clothed me. Can you imagine the forlorn feeling that you have literally nothing? I feel I want to get home as soon as possible, and I'm only waiting to see if I can get anything from Tybee. I never thought I was a coward, but I dread being a minute alone now, and I'm as nervous and fidgety as possible. Going out in the storm cured Marjorie, as she's scarcely coughed since, but Dorothy's whooping it still, and she seems well otherwise. What things I've been drawing today, I feel I would never get fixed again, but I'm too thankful we're alive, after such an experience, to worry over clothes. Both Teddy and I said that night we could never be thankful enough that Auntie's visit had ended before then, and as for me, I'm thankful my baby was safe. I felt even glad he was gone, for he never would have lived in such a storm all that walk. I was only so glad he was not with me. Frank, the lady's baby, died a month before. Will you please send this to Papa, as I don't feel equal to writing it all over again. Harry can read it if he wants to, as Teddy is too busy to write him. I was riding Auntie when I dropped everything to fly, and I suppose the letter is around the house somewhere. With dearest love to you from all of us, yours, signed, M.S. Workman. Thanks again to voice talent extraordinaire Barry Marshall for her reading. She also has a DJ service for weddings, parties, or corporate events. She's great. You can find her on Facebook or Instagram at Happy Hour DJ Barry, and that's spelled B-A-R-R-I. Or you can contact me, and I'll be glad to hook you up. Also, thank you for listening. I'm your host, producer, and editor of What's Up Tybee, Sandy McLeod. Always happy to hear your suggestions of shows you'd like to hear. Also, keep in mind, if you're thinking of buying or selling property on Tybee or the surrounding area, please call me. I'm an associate broker with more than 20 years' experience at Century 21 Fox Properties. See you next time, and until then, no matter where you are, live like your own type time.